Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Colazar. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. It's episode 10, so we wanted to deliver a belter of a show. So we're diving headfirst into the pure passion of the Premier League. We have gathered a dynamic and good-looking panel of die-hard supporters from various clubs, and we are putting them in the hot seat as they share their opinions and tackle some tough topics surrounding their team. Talking about big tackles, Jack, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Uh, looking forward to this episode. Got some uh, some big fans, some good fans on, so it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I don't know if I if I'm looking forward to it or nervous about what might actually come out on this podcast, but uh, no, really looking forward to getting. A Liverpool, a Chelsea, a West Ham, and an Arsenal fan on, and uh, seeing their opinions. Um, what uh, what beer have you gone for this week? Um, yeah, so I've got a couple of drinks again um, with us having some guests on, and you uh, we might be uh, having a couple. So uh, I've got two from the same brewery close to me in King of Prussia, which is the Workhorse Brewing Company. Uh, a couple of like anyone who listens to the podcast much knows I like either cheap lager or sours. I've gone down the Sours route this week with a Finn from Workhorse Brewing Company. And also, I've got a prickly pear margarita Sours from Workhorse Brewing Company as well. Oh, a prickly pear. Um, I've gone for a, another local beer. Um, this time, I've moved out of Hoboken. I've gone to Jersey City to the 902 Brewing Company. And I've gone for a beer called A Beer to Tailgate 2, uh, a hell-style lager that I'm already one or two deep, and I can see myself having a few more of these. Very easy to drink. Um, but, yeah, some some good beers that we've had over the last few weeks. Um, still waiting for somebody to uh, sponsor us and give us some free beer. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it comes soon. Um, Jack, after you struggled a little bit last week on uh, my question, it's now your turn. So, uh, what's your question? I'm not about struggled. I thought I did okay on that one. Um, just got an assist from Brody at the end to complete it. But, yeah, I have your question this week. So. Um, in the Premier League era, there have been six goalkeepers that have scored a goal in a Premier League match. Uh, can you name all six of the goalkeepers that have managed to score a Premier League goal? So six goalkeepers in the Premier League have scored a goal? Yes. Interesting. Um, this is going to be a tough one. Um, yeah, it's a range of years, if you like, but... I would say all very familiar names, goalkeepers that have had good Premier League careers. So I think it's gettable for you. First comes to mind, like last minute goals, like winners in the box. But then I'm also thinking there might be one or two that have like lobbed them from like a, a goal kick or a, when they've yeah. played so it out. If you get all six, you're correct. Um, and I'll be impressed if you can maybe give some of the goal descriptions, some of the teams they were against too. That'd be uh, even better. All right, so we'll yeah we'll come back at the end of the pod and we'll uh, we'll see if I've got any answers. Um, yeah, and maybe maybe if you are struggling, maybe one of our esteemed guests can help you out at the end. I doubt it. Um, but yeah, talking about our esteemed guests, um, we're very fortunate enough to have uh, Ben Stewart representing Liverpool, Lewis Benton representing Chelsea, Jake Tillett representing the Mighty Hammers, West Ham, and Tommy McCabe supporting uh, Arsenal. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, obviously, you'll all get a turn at Jack's five quickfire or not-so-quickfire questions. Um, Jack, I reckon we start with uh, the Scouser, and we'll go with Ben. 
Yeah, we'll get him out of the way early. The five quick fire or not so quick fire questions, Ben. Here we go. First of all, name. Good. Favorite team. Liverpool. Favorite ever sporting memory. Uh, I think you could have guessed this, but Stevie G scoring, I would say, the equaliser at home to Olympiacos. Okay, I thought you might have gone top. Could have been, yeah, it could have been the final, but I think as a moment, you said like sporting memory as a moment in itself. I think that was a bit more, you know, the finals obviously over. And the commentary as think, well. Yeah, I think, yeah, just the whole situation made it. So that's got to be, that's number one. Favourite ever kit? Actually, funnily enough, watching the Beckham thing, uh, the England 98 kit with the blue collar yeah, and the badge right in the middle. I thought very old school, very like, yeah, I like that kit. Yeah, I like that. Although I will give a shout out to the Liverpool kits back when they used to have the big oval around the badge. I was a, fan, I was a big fan of that. The cream, the, ba- the beige yeah. one. I'm like the beige <laughs> yeah. kit and the red kit at the big oval. Yeah, I, was a shout- I liked that a lot. Uh, best uh, best player seen live? Uh, I'm going to go Suarez. Okay, yeah, Luis Suarez. Yeah. Stroud, something different than Messi. Yeah, easy answer man. probably would have been Stevie G, but, and I obviously haven't got Messi, which, but yeah, Suarez. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good answer. Our first answer outside of Messi, so uh, no, I applaud that. So, uh, so Ben, we're, uh, we're eight games deep in the Prem. Where uh, where would you see Liverpool going? Where uh, Where are they at? I reckon we're right where we should be. And I'm going to get this all in now while Benton's on mute. Um, but no, I think we're, it's probably fair to ask to win against Tottenham after what happened. I think asking a little bit much. I think if you'd have said at the start of the season, would you take where we are now? No one would have said they wouldn't have. I yeah, think the biggest shock's been Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool I had a disappointing season last season. So after coming off the back of that, you know, stopping that downward trend and lifting back up, I think, is a good sign. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. I think we kind of we we came up a little bit and then we've like plateaued. But where we plateaued, I think, is probably where we should be putting ourselves in with City, Arsenal at the minute. It's people are getting ahead of themselves. So you're taking third place if offered right now. Bite your hand off. Absolutely, absolutely. Wouldn't even think about it. Give me yeah, it right now. Getting the Champions League and go again, right? Yeah. That's, I think, would be a good season for us, Champions League. I can't even remember where I put Liverpool in uh, in my predictions in the first episode, but uh, yeah. I think I had them outside the top four, maybe. <laughs> yes, uh, sli- you did. Slightly awkward. Um, all right, well, we'll move on to our next guest, uh, Jake. Jake, the West Ham fan. Um, you might think you've got Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal, but West Ham are in there, in with a shout. So, Jake, are you ready for the five questions from Jack? I sure am. Yes. Yeah. Uh, name? Jake Tillett. Favourite team? West Ham United, although I will give a shout-out to my local team, Exeter City. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Favourite ever sporting memory? Can I, can I have two? Because I, I, I was torn. So I had the last game at Upton Park. was immense, emotional against Man U. And then, obviously, last last season, winning, winning the Conference League was big. If you, had, if you had to pick, what are you picking? Got to be the Conference League. I think actually seeing West Ham win a trophy, I don't think it will happen again. <laughs> but there we go. Interesting. Yeah. Favorite ever kit? Been some good ones to West Ham. It's not even a West Ham kit. It's an England kit again. 2001 to 2003. The white with the 
the red coming down. It's not the yeah, best design wise, but just just the memories. You've got the Beckham free kit, the five one against Germany. I think there's just and that yeah. was the first kit that I had as a as a boy wearing that kit, and it just holds so many memories. Yeah, I had that one. That was the five one with Emil Heske giving it the DJ celebration. Yeah, quality, great, great striking. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, um, best player in life. It's not Lionel Messi. Um, it's Dimitri Payet. The one and the one and a half season he was here at, at Electric, and he's like he was he was a human highlight reel. You know, he he did things that I was like, oh my goodness, he he should not be playing for West Ham, but he did. No, I agree. Yeah. It was too good to play for West Ham. I did see yeah. him as well playing against Man United. I think it was an FA Cup game and he whipped a free kick in the top corner. Oh. I was also there for that game. Yeah. yeah. He could have been in some... our uh, underrated 11 the other week. He should yeah. have been. Fair shout out. Yeah, fair shout So, Jake, West Ham, six points off top spot. Are you finishing where you are right now? Would you take seventh place? No, I want fourth. You want I'm fourth? Being, I'm, I'm, I think I want to aim high. Like, I'm looking. Right now, I give our season an A minus. I think the teams that we've lost to, Man, Man City, and, and Liverpool. I mean, they're kind of like written off. We could have beaten Bournemouth in in the opening game. The Newcastle game we just had was a bit of a 50-50 shot. But I'm looking at our schedule. We've got winnable games coming up, like you know Everton, Brentford, Forest, Burnley. So there's no reason why we can't be in in the shout at least for the top six towards the end of the season. You know, you started off with saying top four, now you're saying top six, Jake. Don't... Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I want to aim high, but I will settle for a top six finish. And I think in Europe, if we can win win the Europa, I I back us. But you got to remember as well. I think this year is the first year that it's going to be the top five Champions League, um, with the new oh. format next year. So you never know that fifth, sixth spot. But you've got a big game this weekend against Villa. I think it's going to be kind of you two battling it out for those uh, those remaining spots. Um, I agree. But yeah. I think West Ham have had a great start, albeit two of your wins were against uh, Sunday league teams in Sheffield United and, and Luton. But, yeah. You, I st- could... you still got to beat them, you know? They're still there yeah, to be beaten. So. Yeah, careful still. United have got Sheffield United this coming weekend. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason why we didn't get a Man United fan on this podcast. Um, all right. So, I reckon we move on now to another London team. I reckon we go to Arsenal uh, and Tommy. Tommy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Tommy, five questions for you. Name? Tommy McCabe. Favourite team? Arsenal. Favourite ever sporting memory? Uh, Just like uh, Jake, I have two. Uh, Anytime England loses in a major tournament. Um, and then... Whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> and then uh, US Algeria. Okay. In the um, 2010 World Cup. There you go. Favorite ever kit? Here we go. There's been some terrible USA kits. No, I I won't go with USA. No chance. Uh, for me, it's the maroon Arsenal kit from their last year, Highbury. Um, or I think it was the same year. It was like a a yellow kit with a blue collar. Yeah, those are the two kits I grew up wearing. The big O2 sponsor. I always, whenever people talk about the kits, it always reminds me of the sponsors. Yeah, that uh, that maroon kit always reminds me of Robert Perez. <laughs> For me, it's Gilberto. <laughs> uh, best player seen live? Uh, I'd probably go Thierry Henry. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. What a player! Do you so talking about Thierry Henry then, Tommy? Do you wish you had a player like him now as like that number nine? Are Arsenal maybe missing that number nine? 
Yeah, I think so. But I don't like with their current team, I don't think it's the same number nine. Um, and just the way the game's played now, I don't think it's the same one. I think it's more like a, a bigger target number nine, something that they haven't had. Like with Jesus, you kind of get that guy who drifts from side to side. Um, but yeah, I think having a forward that can bang 20 to 25 goals each year. Yeah, I think I think every team would love that. Yeah, we're uh, we're not all blessed to have uh, Haaland in our team. Um, so yeah, Arsenal top uh, top two at the moment. You and Tottenham, bit of rivals. Who's uh, how do you think Arsenal have done so far? Uh, I think I mean obviously pretty well, but I think they've actually started pretty slow um, compared to last year. Just the way the games are played, and then some of their games that they've tied probably are both winnable games that you you lose it more so than the other team wins it. So, I mean, you have a shout for being eight wins at this point, like a realistic shout. Um, compared to last year, they were flying, scoring goals left and right, really dynamic in the attack, and I think they're a lot less dynamic this year. So I'll ask you a similar question to Jake. Right now you're in second place, let's say, obviously because of goal difference. Would you take second place or you think you can get first? No, I think you have to go for first. You think you you see end of the season, thirty eight games played, Arsenal in first spot. You see that happening? Yeah, this time I do. Confidence, like it, like it. So, uh, Lewis, listening, it's you know nice to have someone on the podcast talking a bit of sense. There, <laughs> are you ready to talk some more sense? No, I'm gonna talk utter nonsense. <laughs> I'm a Chelsea fan. That's all we've got this season. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, the circus is in town. So get ready for the five questions. Uh, yeah, name. Lewis Benton. Favourite team? Chelsea. Favourite ever sporting memory? Uh, again, I'm, I'm jumping on the two, two-folder. Uh, the, the obvious one being Drogba, 2012, Champions League final. I mean, every Chelsea fan's got to have that up there. But the, the first one and one of my earliest ones is Euro 96, Gascoigne, Scotland, over Colin Hendry's head, bang it in the net, dentist chair celebration. We've all recreated that, maybe not. Tommy, because he's too young, but the rest of us, we've all recreated that goal and the celebration in our back garden. Yeah, you could have a water bottle on hand. <laughs> yeah. Ready to the go. iconic yellow water bottle. I love it. <clears throat> Lucas, Aid, Lucas Aid Sport water bottle. Yeah. Um, best place in life? This one, no. This one, unfortunately, was uh, Aguero. At, I was at the game. I was sitting three rows back from in line with the, the penalty box and he absolutely, it was April 2016, I think, absolutely tore us to pieces. He was unplayable. Like, he moved left and John Terry went with him and then all of a sudden he's in the box bank. I think he got at trick that day. He was absolutely unplayable. And it was one of them performances you just look at and just go, wow, this guy's different level. Even the Chelsea fans clap him off. They, they did. They genuinely did. Like, you know, at that point, City weren't what City are now. And, you know, we were in with a chance of winning the league and it was it was yeah it was brutal it was brutal couldn't get in so, do you wish you could relive those days and have that Chelsea team playing now um it's a I mean you'd have to say yes because that Chelsea team achieved so much but this is the first time since AVB that we've gone right let's t- try and tear up the the status quo bring in some young players and and see what happens so you know early days yet yeah, but so, yeah, early days, but what have you made of Chelsea's maybe mismatched start to the season? 
I mean, there's definitely signs of of progress. I'm not going to use the word that everyone associated with Chelsea uses at the moment, which is the project. You've got to trust the process and the project. That, that nonsense. I'm not buying that. Um, but from where we were sort of pre-season, looking at it, I was really worried pre-season. Going to that first game against Liverpool, have the majority of the possession, look half decent and just not stick up, you know, not stick chances away to, you know, we're getting better. There's there's positive signs. It's just so much transition, not just on the field, but off the field around the club. It's, it's never going to be simple this season. You miss Abramovich? Oh, I mean, politics aside, the guy came in and changed football and put us to heights that we, you know, you used to be happy getting to an FA Cup final. You know, I remember yeah. 97 and my dad being over the moon that we're just in a cup final. Now it's like, you know, if we don't, if we're not in a Champions League semi-final or we're not fighting for the league, you know, fans are unhappy. I guess we've been the most spoiled group of fans of the last two decades. So, Yeah, I think it's one of those that if you're a Chelsea fan from a long time, right, like you think back even to like like the Dennis Wise era and stuff like that, like you were happy, like you said, with the FA Cup final or whatever, but then you got... You got fortunate with obviously Abramovich and winning title after title, Champions League. So like now when you're going through those troubled times, you got to kind of remember like where you did come from, right? But a lot of Chelsea fans, maybe new Chelsea fans from that era of like the 07 season around there, don't quite remember those times before. So I think someone like yourself can remember those times and kind of appreciate where you're at right now, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of those fans now are also supporting Man City, so they don't really, you know... They're... <laughs> Count so, but yeah, they say my my group of mates that are that are Chelsea fans and whatnot. They're you know they're looking at it again. Well, you know if if you look at say a club like United or you know they had unrivaled success over the last you know for, for, since the start of the Premier League, and then Chelsea come along disrupt it. You know Arsenal chimed in with a few titles and whatnot, but I I, I can't see any you know if would you trade it what we've had for this up and down bit now no because there's nights and, and whatnot that we just you just don't get otherwise if you're not a Chelsea fan so yeah it's definitely uh an up and down season I think you're gonna have with Chelsea where where do you kind of see him finishing end of the season I mean the next six weeks is gonna be the biggest challenge because you've got a challenge at the weekend right against Tommy's team against Arsenal yeah, do you know, like, so I was looking, you look at our start, you know, with the exception of Liverpool, you couldn't ask for a worse team to start against, in all honesty, because Chelsea-Liverpool games, they're not great games. They're always tough. They become like a war of attrition. Um, and I think, including the cup finals, there's not been a huge amount of goals. But aside from from that, you know, we had Luton, we had West Ham, which, you know, they, they turned us over quite happily. Um, that wasn't a particularly good game. I've actually got the highlights on now, just re- reliving it. And it, you know, it's not a, not a good football match by any stretch. You lose to Nottingham Forest with, you know, 75% possession, an XG of 2.3. And you're just like, how on earth have we lost to this? And then, but all of those teams, they sit back a little bit. And we don't at the moment have, uh, you know, the ability like a City do or a Liverpool do, or even, a, you know, an Arsenal to an extent where, they can be comfortable in possession and then go and bang in three or four goals. We haven't got that. But coming up against Arsenal, City, Newcastle, Tottenham, teams that are going to be probably quite uh, more adventurous may may help us because, you know, we haven't had that yet. And hitting teams on the counter-attack with some of the pace we've got in Madrid and 
Sterling and, you know, Jackson's now starting to get some goals. Cole Palmer looks a real player. So we'll, we'll see. Um, the next, but they'll be the they'll be the benchmarkers because if we lose all, if we lose four out of those the next six games, which is is definitely possible, then you know we're sitting and seasons in turmoil. But if we we nick a point or t- you know three this weekend against Arsenal, people will be going, you know, Pochettino's a genius. The joys of football. Um, Horrible. I think uh, I think it's a perfect way to start this fan debate with this weekend's game of Chelsea v Arsenal. I'm going to ask you both a question. Who's the bigger club? Chelsea. Arsenal. It's not even close. Why? Because it just is. Like, you, you guys bought your way to the top. You can't be a big club if you have big pockets, but not a big club. What does he do? You're the, big, you're, the, you're the bigger club in the last 10 to 15 years. I'm not going to argue that. Most You've got more league titles pre-war than you have post-war. Which war are we talking about? <laughs> Oh. <clears throat> no, I think uh, in Europe with European titles, does that come into it too? Depends. Depends on how many, what type of European titles we're counting. Because well, you, you could have had two recently, but one of your players slipped over taking a penalty, so you only got one Champions League recently. Um, Arsenal lost in the final of a Champions just League. Just to clarify, since that's happened, we've won two. You've won how many? I've, this is a, I've this fully, is a Man United I've podcast. Thought... I fully oh you're not talking to me, but I I fully admitted the last ten to fifteen you're not, years. You're not getting any grief on this one, mate. Don't worry, that's that's purely aimed at. <laughs> so who are we saying? Who's the big? Who's the, all right, I'll ask this question then to Ben and Jake. Aside from your two teams, who's a bigger team out of Arsenal and Chelsea? I'll have to go. Well, I see both sides, but at the minute, currently, it's Chelsea. Interesting, Jake. Are you in agreement? Or are you going uh, Arsenal? I would have to agree. I'd go Chelsea just, and that's purely based based on the fact that Arsenal, they're on the up, but they've not won. Yeah. Much in comparison to Chelsea in recent times. But like, yeah, I, I would have to say Chelsea, but I can see that changing in, in a few years, the way the clubs are going right now. Yeah, I think that's right. I think if, if, if this upward trend of Arsenal continues and they can bag an FA Cup and then they can bag, um, even if they don't win the Champions League, but they get to the final stages... And if I was going to ask you, if, you know, the line with the Premier League too, then it's then it switches. But what if, what if over the next four years they finish second three times, third the other time, and win an FA Cup? They don't become a bigger club than Chelsea. No, I think it's about it's about winning the big trophies, right? Yeah, you've definitely got to win. I mean, Tommy, first year back in the Champions League. Where do you see Arsenal going in Champions League this year? I think. Quarterfinals or semi-finals? I I don't think they go to the final. That's for sure. It just depends think, on the draw. You think Arteta is focusing purely on the league? Yeah, I also think they're they're young. So in that like two-legged tie, they could be a little naive, especially away from home. Like I could I could just see them tripping up on one of those, just because of their youth. Just like they've done the last two years with the same group of guys and new experiences. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you said there about Arsenal being that young team, right? It's it's taken Arsenal maybe a couple of years with Arteta to kind of get the ball rolling. Lou, do you kind of see that with Chelsea at the moment, that they're kind of in their recovery phase of like they've brought in some youngsters, they've shipped out the old guard, and it's like this might be two or three years before you really start seeing the real Chelsea again? I, I don't know if I'd call it a recovery phase. I would say it's it's 
re the they're, they're basically trying to re-establish themselves as something that we have become so accustomed to being. You know, this, you know, if you look at what we brought in over you go back 10 years, what players we're bringing in, you go back 15 years, you're bringing in players over the 28, 29 age, you know, you go back to someone like a Shevchenko bringing in European footballer of the year, bargaining on Balak, you know, what a player, by the way, Balak. But, you know, and now we're bringing in younger, somewhat unproven talent um, with a view of thinking, you know, they're all on eight-year contracts, which was unheard of, you know, pre-Big Todd. Um, so the, I, I, we have to be patient. It's hard to say that as a Chelsea fan because whenever we fired a manager, normally a trophy follows. That's not that's not going to be happening anytime soon, you know. Um, so it, it's it's a complete rebuild of of a way of doing things, you know. Even around the training ground, the you know doesn't really make too much difference to the general public or whatnot. But even the ground staff have gone from Cobham. You know, they've got all new ground staff at Stamford Bridge, ground staff at Cobham. You know, that's the medical staff's all changed. Player recruitment's changed to start, you know, scouts have all changed. So it's not just a case of the 23 first team players have changed. It's this whole building has changed. Is that and, because of Potts or is that because of Todd? Uh, uh, not necessarily because of Potts, definitely because of Todd. You know, there was a wholesale clear out of the Abramovich staff. You know, and you've got people there with years of experience and, and, and understanding of how the club runs, even down to, like, say, ground staff, to bringing in fresh new people, new ideas, new visions, a, di a different approach to recruitment, you know, more data-driven, less, oh, he's a big name, let's just get him. Um, and, and so, with, so with Todd then, so he's obviously changed a lot since he's come in. What's kind of your take on him kind of being involved at, like, the football level and, like, going into the change rooms, into games? Are you for that or are you against that? Um. <clears throat> I, I'm. It's not. It's not a, a a big thing for a fan. I don't think to look at and go. Ah, oh, you know, the, the owner of this. But it's more about what are the players feeling. Is you know, and you hear reports from from uh, you know last year where he's just bowling in after every game and trying to bring f friends in and you know use his clout. Oh, this is my club coming to the change room. You know, and and. You can't be having that. A change every player on every podcast, on every documentary or whatever talks about how sacred the the changing room is, and the, you know that area where the players can be themselves. Some managers don't even go in it. You know they'll they'll go in, deliver their last minute bit before the game starts, and then off they go. So to just be strolling in because you own the club, I think sets the the wrong message. Um, but he's he's doing some good things. He's definitely made mistakes. He's you know his early days. I mean. He's he's certainly prepared to throw money at it, which you know, as we know through majority of football, it solves a lot of problems. Oh, 100 percent. I think you look at most teams that have become successful recently, it's due down to money as well. Like, so Tommy, then you look at Arsenal, right? So Arsenal maybe in the last five six years really haven't splurged the cash, but this year they've gone big. They've got the likes of Declan Rice for a lot of money. Um, are you, as an Arsenal fan, are you happy now that Arsenal are starting to be contenders and, and splurge the cash? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely happy about that. Uh, I think part of it is with Wenger and even the same ownership or change in ownership, similar to Chelsea, you had a lot of change going on and you're trying to find some sort of 
stability in the club now that they finally had that now they're spending um and i think arsenal has always been a little bit more careful or conservative with their money up until the past couple of years so when you get quality players like rice or raya or ben white a couple of years ago Partey, like it's always a joy when they play for you but you have to spend money to get them so then talking about spending money on rice jake you must be uh were you happy or sad with rice going but getting that amount of money i think i think it was his time to go i think coming off the back of winning a trophy with us um he did carry us i think both sides will be happy because you, obviously it's a big 105 million pound fee or I think it's like 120 million dollars I think yep. if, the, if the conversion's right but um, you look at that he's going to be your starting CDM for the next seven eight years so you can split that investment over that seven eight year period and I think it's worth their money if they start winning and I think he's I think he's one he's one of the best players in his position at what at what he does he gets the ball breaks it down keeps it simple gives it to the to the better attacking players. But I think the way that we've reinvested that money, we've got James Ward-Prowse, who has been on fire for us. We've got Edson Alvarez, who looks the real deal. He's a nasty player that can win the ball back and distribute. We've got Mohamed Kadus, who I think is going to set the set the league on fire when he gets consistent starts. And I just think we've reinvested the money so well. And it's a bit of a weird thing to say, but I think we're actually better as a team now without Rice because I think a lot of the players looked for him to play hero ball and kind of carry us through the games. I think it ended up hindering some players, like Thomas Suchek has had a second lease of life now that he's gone because he's able to push forward and attack the box more, whereas Rice was trying to do that last year and he had to sit more. So it's one of those like weird things where it's kind of worked out for both parties, in my opinion. If they offered you, uh, if they offered you a return deal, you get Declan Rice back and you, and you give away those two central midfielders, what would you say? That's a great question. Controversially, I'm I'm gonna say no. Keep him. I think Warprouse and I think Warprouse alone for his set pieces. We're a very set piece heavy club. We utilize that really well. And I've been I've been so impressed with how he's come into the team and just carried on from where he left off with Southampton. And I just think Rice, I don't know, like to he was such a good player for us, but I just think I'm happy with with the players that, that we've got now, and I'm happy with the way that we're we're playing. So I don't want to mess that up. No, I I think you're you're spot on there in terms of you definitely invested very well. Um, I I think West Ham have to be careful that they need to almost. I think what Jack said a few episodes ago about Brighton, I was on about Brighton having a, a very good team, and Jack said well, in order to be a very good team, you can't keep losing your top players so like you look at West Ham I would say Jared Bowen is probably one of your your top top players currently fourth in the top goal scorers in the Premier League what what keeps Jared Bowen at West Ham well the fact that he's just signed a massive contract will will keep him there for a start did you it's see just... that though he, it, Sky Sports messed up and said it was actually to Man United yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what Sky Sports are, I would have taken smoking it. these days. But I think it's one of those things as well. Don't you say? What's that? I think I think I think what's also keeping Jared Bowen at West Ham is um is Danny Dyer. So, you know, he's scared of Danny Dyer. He's scared he's scared to leave, you know. We have got the West Ham Ultras up on his back. But I think it's one of those where he he's a Hereford boy, right? And he's come to our club and he's become one of those cult heroes that he puts the effort in. 
he scores the goals. He scored the winner against Fiorentina in the in the Conference League final. He's asserted himself as one of like our cult heroes now, and I think he he's in the prime of his career right now. And I think if he can be the main man at a club like us, rather than go to a man you would just be another player, I think that means more to him. And not and not every player is like that. And I think he's just got a big pay rise, so he's like one of our top earners. So I don't I don't even think money's the issue anymore, you know. And he has said that he's settled with his family now in London. Like there's not there's no reason for him to move unless it's to an Arsenal, Chelsea. But I don't see them being in for him. So yeah, yeah, no, he's he's definitely in the right place at the moment. And like yourself, you've spoken about Rice being replaced with good, strong midfielders. Arsenal now have a strong, solid midfield. So then that leads me kind of on to Liverpool with you, Ben, that Klopp's almost revitalised that that midfield position with the players that he's brought in. Um, as you know, I'm not going to pronounce the, the Hungarians player's name because I'm going to absolutely butcher it. But Ben, surely you've got to be very happy with the business that Liverpool have done this year. No, definitely. And I think he's, you know, all of a sudden in that player, Sobosly. I mean, I hope I've said that right. Um, Apologise to the Hungarian on the on the podcast, Jack, but I hope I got it right. Um, yeah, can we you know, can we I get sit... a tra- uh, an actual pronunciation from the <laughs> Hungarian person on this podcast, Jack? How do you pronounce it? Just like Ben did. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he and I don't know whether because he wear, he's wearing the number eight shirt, but he just he, he just rolls back the years of of Gerard in terms of like how positive he is with the ball, and I think. The difference we're kind of seeing now in our midfield is almost we have players like him, McAllister, you know, as good as McAllister's been at the minute in that, like, sort of holding midfield. The difference that we have now is we've got midfielders that can take players on. Whereas, like, as good as we have been in the past couple of years, you know, it's been watching Fabinho pick that perfect pass or again watching Henderson whipping him from the right it was more so a a speedy midfield with the ball if you know when he's fit if Thiago plays but he's kind of changed the dynamic now he's got players that can actually take players on and beat players which when we were good a couple of years ago that's where we did hit a wall teams would set up against us and we couldn't break them down because we tried to pass them to death and that doesn't work sometimes. Something has to give somewhere. And I think we we kind of have that now. But if you kind of include the back end of last year or once we lost Mane, it's almost like he's building in reverse, I think. Because he added Nunes. So we kind of added a couple at the top in Diaz. That was like the start of the change. Now he's done the midfield. I think he needs to address the back because our scoreline this year is just going to be 3-1 every game. Yeah, I was just going to say to you there, like you've got a star-studded front three, you've got the midfield <laughs> sorted now, but your bat line is uh, wibbly wobbly. Yeah, it's yeah, it is. It's a bit, it's a bit all over the place at the is, back. So here's, here's a question for you then. So obviously, so I refer back to Van Dyke at the Newcastle game where he got sent <laughs> off. Van Dyke two, three years ago wouldn't have been caught in that position. Have we seen the best days of Van Dyke? Absolutely. So you think Absolutely. now he's he's on the the downward slope? Yeah, he's on he's on the down, and it's different things. It's like, you know, the West Ham game. Jared Bowen scores against West Ham. I mean, sorry, scores against Liverpool. 
the only reason Jarrett Bowen scores is because he wants to get to the ball before Van Dyke. And Van Dyke's too slow. And it's it's a case of, you know, a couple of years ago when the ball's getting put down the right hand side before that box uh, before the cross is coming in, he positions himself to not allow any of that to happen. Whereas now the ball's been played, it's been whipped in, and he's he's trying to chase the guy. It's like the the tackle against Newcastle. It's like it's just it's it's constantly, you know, the pass against Brighton with to, that led to the goal. It's it's he's constantly, I feel like he's half a yard off the two, three years ago. It's that stat you see about the Arsenal centre back, I think even about Kurt Zuma this year, that they haven't been dribbled past once. That was Van Dijk. He, he set the record, didn't he? I don't know how many games it was. No one ever dribbled past him. And he was never quick. Well, he, he wasn't slow, but he wasn't like your, you know, your speedy centre-back. But I think he's just he's being in the right place at the right time and cutting it, cutting the play out and stopping it before it starts. I think it's just, I think it's well gone. I think it's almost like his desire, his desire to defend at times. Like the lack yeah, of aggression, lack of it, yeah. assertiveness, lack of desire to close the ball out. Even going back to last season with the goal Sancho scored against Liverpool where he was happy to stand 10 yards off Sancho and watch him kind of turn him and, and pass the ball into the goal. And I think at the time, maybe James Milner or someone turned around and screamed at him like, "Get you've got to throw yourself yeah. in that ball, not just stand there and hopefully block it. Well, I think he's infamous now for defending the way, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but, you know, the two hands behind the back. Yeah, it's passive. Ch- ch- trying to get, like, side on to show him a certain way. But after time, he's that far away that people just bend it round him. Yep. Because, he's again, he's he's in the wrong position. He's not, like you say, Jack, he's not close enough. He's not, pre- he's not actually pressuring. But, yeah, I just think he's... I still definitely think he's a good defender. And he's he's definitely our, like probably our best shelter, our captain, but he, he's nowhere near the player he was. It's interesting. I think... the, the back four is the weakness, but when you look at them individually, Van Dyke, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Robertson, these are good players. So it's interesting that that's the weakness of the team. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I, I, the more and more I watch Andy Robertson this season, you know, I think he he does again. He just looks that little bit slower or like a bit weaker when he's defending. He doesn't look as quick to the ball. He looks Trent, angry think, all the time. Yeah, it just, it, it just, I don't know, they just look a bit, I mean, Trent's obviously playing this new weird hybrid role where he just drifts into the middle of midfield, which again is, is great when he's got the ball, but, you know, without the ball, once we lose the ball, he's, he's trying to track over, then it's Van Dijk stretching over, or it's Matip or it's Gomez, and, it, and then it just becomes kind of a, you know, the dominoes are just falling as the whatever team it is is cutting us open. Yeah. So, obviously, like speaking about Liverpool and uh, Jurgen Klopp wanting to bring in the challenge rule where he can replay games. Um, I know Jack's got Ridiculous. a question that he wants He wants to post to uh, you guys about VAR. Yeah, well, let's wrap up that the, the round of pleasantries there. All very respectful, listening to each other's opinion <laughs> about their own teams. We learned a lot there. We learned about how Jake thinks James Ward-Prowse is a better central midfielder than uh, Declan Rice. Arsenal on the up, Chelsea on the decline. Van Dijk's passed it, and Ben Ben agrees with Stu Sharples that Van Dijk couldn't lace Amanda Vidic's boots. So we learned a lot on that one. I also learned Slow that soccer down. fans are fickle, right? If you're winning, everything's good. Ward-Prowse is a great player. As soon as the results start turning, then uh, opinions change. But 
we'll throw some open questions out there that you can all get stuck into each other on and uh, no more pleasantries. So, obviously, Jurgen Klopp, one of the, probably the most embarrassing comments I've heard from a manager in the history of football, asking for a replay. It's quite sad. Um, is VAR progressing and getting better as a whole? Or is VAR regressing and getting worse as a whole? I think it's getting worse. Simply just... I think like and I, I think it's not even the technology itself. I think it's the people that are using it. They don't know how to use it correctly. Like it's working. It seems to be working better in leagues that, in, like in the European leagues, that that there seems to be some kind of semblance of understanding. But it comes up. It's in the Premier League, and it's like the referees don't don't have a clue what's going on. They're looking at different things. They don't know what's happening. It's like, and there's no consistency. Like what they might give in one game, they don't give in in another game. I'm just confused by it. I, I agree. Think the, I think it will go ahead, Lewis. I was going to say, I think the tricky part is when it first came in, it was going to be used on those purely objective issues. Now they're adding in, oh, yeah, you can have the subjective views on, you know, tackles for red cards and, and just the ultimate use of it. It's, it's just, there's so much, the, it feels like the grey area has got wider. And the bigger that grey area gets, the more confusion the fans are going to get. And then it doesn't help that, it seems like every year that the rules change, not only in the usage of the VAR, but to what the, the rule is going to look at. You know, like the handball rule. If you think back a couple of years ago, there was the rule was brought in and, and IFAB, so if it hits your body part first and then hits your arm, it's not a it's not a, a handball. That then gets changed. And some you see instances that happen in the following season that are given as handball year before weren't. And that just that adds to the whole everyone get rid of it, you know, you know, they're not going to get rid of it. They've invested too much money in it, but they definitely need to clear up the execution side. I think they don't. I think, like you said, the the best way to put it is kind of that was one season. It, each season's been like a new trial with different rules, and it's almost like they change one rule the following year, and then like that'll go through a trial period. They'll stress that. Like there was an instance, and again, I don't know if it goes different to international to Premiership. The England game yesterday, Phil Foden, when I think he nutmegged the left back, and then the, the left back just absolutely cleaned him out. He knocked it through his legs, he clatters him in the box, and they, they didn't even look at the tackle. And you're thinking, how? And again, you know, I'm not going to pick on you, Stu, but go back to the Wolves game with United. How is that? How is it not a pen? If you're yeah, able to watch that, if you're able to watch that over, how can you not look at that and go, it's a pen? He's absolutely clattered him. And someone's just gone, no, good, crack on. Definitely been a replay. <laughs> wasn't, well, there, wasn't, there, wasn't there also a game like the week after that, that manual where the same thing happened and a penalty was given? And it was like, there was no consistency. Like, you're not giving it in one game, but you're giving it in, in the other. I can't remember which which game it was. There's a like... freeze frame I saw of, wasn't it, the, the American goalie who plays for Forrest? Didn't he Matt like Turner. scissor someone from behind? Yeah. And again, there was a freeze frame of that. He scissored someone from behind. And that just kind of, yep, that nothing happened there. Like, there's no... But I, yeah. I think I think what... So I was watching the, the Rugby World Cup at the weekend. And obviously in the rugby, you hear what the referees are saying. And you you have that clarity, right, with, with what's going on in rugby, what their decisions are with the TMO. So, Tommy, a question for you. As a as a player who's played in the MLS, the MLS started were one of the first with VAR. When you were on the on the pitch playing and a VAR check was going on, 
what was kind of your opinions at the time? Well, when the ref would go to the monitor, similar to how it is now, you're like, well, shit, that whatever just happened is going to get overturned kind of thing. Um, but it is in like in the heat of the moment as a, as a player, it doesn't really cross your mind. It's when you're just standing still or the plays pause that you're like, okay, what's, what's getting checked, whatever. Like, and you, you just like fans, you have no idea because usually these refs are trained unless you're the captain. But in that, in that moment, probably not, you're not speaking to anyone. The refs just like go away, go away. So I think fans and players are kind of in a similar boat where there is no clarity. There is no communication. Uh, and then we end up both sides end up spending 90% of our time talking about a referee decision and VAR when that's one or 3% of the game. Um, and so I think that's the unfortunate thing is if they just clear up the communication of it, I think people would be more forgiving. Uh, and then we wouldn't spend an hour and a half after each game talking about what VAR or what the refs did wrong kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I so think I... if if they were if they had to discuss it and say it out loud in front of players, fans, I don't think you would get the situation that we saw a couple of weeks ago where the conversation around the offside call was such a mess that they didn't even realize what yeah, the decision on the field was. I think it'd make it worse. I think there but would think... be pandemonium, like with that situation. Yeah, you're gonna if make the fans it... and players could hear the what was actually going on there, for example it would erupt into chaos. But, but that's I... my that's my point is that that wouldn't happen because if you had to say out loud the process, you would have a very clean and kind of a method of talking in the same way as cricket uses video analysis videos and um, technology to make decisions where it's almost like a script. It's this or that, it's this or that, it's this or that decision. But that's, there's no, that's there's no four, five, four five voices talking at the same time. And also, I think if they had to say that in front of the public that's, if that that's was the a... problem at the minute yeah so i they, think that would I think that the, would the problem that. is they can't ex- they can't explain what the what they're doing they can't explain the decisions and i think if you gave them the chance to explain to 60,000 people what the decision was i don't think they could i don't think it's an explanation i think it's just talking through the process so when i want again they have to justify the decision yeah but i think if you if they're going through the process and they're saying i've seen this <laughs> Therefore, it's a penalty, right? Then they're given a reason behind it, and you can understand. Even if you don't agree, um, you know, the red card against Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, I thought was a red card, Stu didn't. But So there's going to be disagreements. But if at least if, the ref, if, you're, if you're talking through the process and you're going, it's a red card because basically his studs are going through the guy's shin, then... But then what about the like ones it all, that aren't like given? It lump it, it's, like it or lump it, there's a reason behind it. But then that's what I mean. So if you get that one week and then the following week, the guy does the same thing and gets up and explains it, but doesn't give a red card and gives a yellow card, then you're now down to the point where you've got two different referees of different opinions of what the same, like almost the same tackle are. And then yeah. you're not, then you, you're going into what Lewis said, where you're in that gray area. Of, that's why you're getting different decisions because he doesn't think it's a foul or he thinks it's a red, but he thinks it's a yellow. And you're like, but that yeah. can't happen because... I think that's it, always going to happen just because in VAR in, in football is subjective. So there's always going to be an opinion in it. And I think... Um, th- but I also think that being public, I think 
causes more causes them to take more accountability. So you've even seen just after that one incident, now all of a sudden there's more processes and training going into the communication part. So it doesn't mean they're going to get everything right, but it is going to mean they're going to be accountable for their decisions because they're. It's almost like doing a maths test, and it says show show you're working out, so you can't cheat. It's the same thing. Show you're working out of how you got to that decision. Well, it's only really going to impact the 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 you know the fans in the stadium at the time because you know we get the you know, if you're watching it on TV you get the pundits talking over what they think they're seeing anyway. But if you're if you're in the stadium and you know they turn around and say oh, VAR check and you hear the thing right possible red card for a higher tackle on such and such you're in the stadium you you don't have the replay unless they put it up on the screens you don't have it so you're sitting there and you go well they're checking it and if they turn around and say right, yeah red card you're off you're going to have to wait till you get home before you can really make your thing on it uh, make your sort of views made or uh, heard on it but if you're watching it on TV you're getting that live commentary as you're going along anyway from one any of the pundits you know. Um, that's interesting. I don't think they, I don't think they show when they say possible VAR in the stadiums. They never show the replay. So maybe instead of not okay, we can't open you, you can't open up the communication, but maybe you can show a replay so that the fans in the stadium at least know what they're looking at. Yeah, show the process, put it on the screen. Yeah, because I think it was Gary Neville was saying that you know they get the commentators get the live VAR feed before it goes to whatever broadcasters showing it. So if the pundits are getting it beforehand, then within seconds, surely they can put it up on the screen and then have people, you know, or have the guys in the stadium or fans in the stadium see what uh, what the referees are seeing. That was like that was like with the Curtis Jones sending off. And I don't know if whoever told me, because I when you're watching it on the TV, all you can see is the ref looking at a freeze frame of him hitting his foot. Now, someone after the fact told me that that's not, that wasn't true. Like apparently... The ref was shown different angles or different stills, or maybe like the whole thing in a sequence. But when you're watching that on the TV, and you can, because that's what they do now, you can clearly see what that ref is watching on the TV, yeah. and all you can see is the freeze frame of him hitting his foot. You're like, well, absolutely. I didn't obviously. I mean, some of ours have been this season. I didn't think it was. But I mean, again, that's because I watched it back and from different angles, whereas. If you're the ref and you, you've got 10 seconds or 15 seconds to make that decision and that's the only thing you see, there's no way that they've made the decision for him. He doesn't need to go and look at it. I think, yeah, the, I think the, you're... the referees use as well in the build-up to as they're walking across from, if you look at the last VAR incident with, uh, you know, with um, was it one of the, I think it was Gusto. Yeah, the, the red card. Red card. The, the, they released some audio of it and the, the referee says, this is what I want to show him. The, 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 the VAR technician or whatever is saying, or the VAR referee is saying, this is what I want to show the on-field official. Not play it through, let him lean. This, and then they freeze it at the point where he's, you know, his foot is making contact with his ankle and you're just like, well, yeah, if you stop it at that exact moment, of course it is. But if you play the whole... whole um, you know, a whole clip through at normal speed in real time, it's not anywhere near as bad as that one freeze frame looks like. And that's the same for most sending offs and most red cards that come through, especially the, you know, the soft ones where they're all contentious. But I think like the, the points that we've made there in terms of the subjective views of the, the Curtis Jones, the Gusto fouls, I think when it comes to like the offside rule, like obviously Liverpool and like, I've said this before, like I'm, I hate Liverpool to death, but 
that Luis Diaz offside is criminal. It is. Like great, those... What are you saying? It's a great decision. Clearly offside. <laughs> but like that decision could cost Liverpool first place, fourth place, third place. It could cost Liverpool a big, a big deal. And I think when it comes to those decisions, VAR should be taken out the hands of people and like how the Champions League is done, like that automated VAR. And I think that would then get more fans on, um, kind of on side with VAR. But I think we're all kind of in agreement that VAR is, is here to stay, whether we like it or not. It's kind of how we, how we interpret it as fans. Um, it's a tough one. We've obviously been in a world where VA wasn't in existence. Now we are. So we see both sides of it. But for me, it's a case of it's the people that are running VAR. Like, what? what's your thoughts, everyone, on the the shouts of an ex-pro being in the, the hub? I think he's got to be. I I don't know what their process is now, but I think, like, in the leagues I've played in, when you have like bands or like a red card committee, like there's an ex pro on that committee to provide some perspective. Uh, And one, I think you need more ex pros or ex high level players being refs. Like it's just not a desirable position for players to have. And I think if we had that more, I think you'd have less of a gray area uh, or fans would appreciate the gray area a bit more. Um, So, yeah, I think that has to be part of it. I think you make a good point there about the desire of the position and maybe how do you make it more desirable for ex-players to want to take up that role uh, I don't think you're going to get really like the top top players to do it but how do you get say players from league one championship level maybe they want to mm-hmm. extend their involvement in the game and it's not via coaching it's not via journalism but they see that as a real avenue to go down I mean that's a difficult answer to get yeah so I think the VAR debate is always going to go on I kind of want to move it now on to what our kind of we've me and Jack have given our predictions um so I'm just going to quickly and we're all in I think all teams here Liverpool Arsenal West Ham and uh, Chelsea are all in contention for a European place um what is your I think yeah Ch- Lewis you're shaking your head but I think I think Chelsea are in contention so I don't I wouldn't write them off what was what I thinking, is? by the way? I put Chelsea in the top four in my uh, start, Lewis definitely start the season it. predictions. I don't know what happened there. I didn't have Chelsea in the top four this year. So, yeah, talking about top... We'll go top five because obviously Champions League is changing. What is your top five this year? I'm going to start with Jake. Uh, West Ham first, right? No. Um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Tottenham will die off. I think Tottenham won't sustain it. Um, I think they'll get top four. I think if I'm if I'm looking at it right now, I think Man City. I just I just can't look past Man City again. It's number one. I think Arsenal will, will run them very close in second. I think they are closing that gap. Um, third place, I'll go Tottenham, and then fourth Liverpool. With fifth, I t- I don't think Manu or Chelsea will be there. I just don't think they will. I think it's between. Like I, I think it's between us, Brighton and Villa as a fifth place. Genuinely, I think it's or I, I, I've Newcastle. Newcastle. I've completely forgotten Newcastle. I think Newcastle fifth. I stand corrected. 
the Newcastle fifth, and then one of us, Brighton or Villa in sixth. I just I think Manu and Chelsea. I don't know what it is. They're just too hit. They're too hit and miss this season. For me. So we've got it on record. We've got it on record, Jake, that you've gone at the start of this podcast. West Ham being in the top four to yeah. now not even making the top five. I said top four as as the optimistic shout. Okay, you know I like to aim high. You know, but, right, but you've you've got Man City winning. Yeah, yeah, just I think it will right, come down to the last couple of weeks. So that leads me on then, Tommy. Tommy, what's your top five? Uh, I have Arsenal, City, Liverpool. I do have Spurs, and then I think Newcastle by Christmas will have either done themselves a favor or just absolutely bottled it because I've looked at their fixtures around when they play Champions League and their Champions League group is so tough that either the game before or right after that midweek fixture is like a top five team away or at home. And she's like, those are killer fixtures. You got to go play Paris. You got to go play United. You have to go play Arsenal like all in a week. Like that, that's not easy. Uh, and I'm well, you're not United I'm, is easy. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Depends. Um, I'll go. I'll go Brighton. Okay. So we've got one person saying City's winning, one person Arsenal winning. I'm going to go to a level-headed person in Lewis. Lewis, what's your top five? I actually fancy Arsenal this year. I think if you look historically at teams that have come agonisingly close, that has more often than not spurred them on to good things. And uh, yes, yeah, so I've got. Uh, I, I fancy. I, I don't know what. I, I just feel like Arsenal win it. City come second. Then I think there'll be a little bit of a drop off. Um, Spurs third. Then fourth and fifth Liverpool. And I was looking. I had a similar sort of thought to Tommy about Newcastle's fixture list. Um, and they don't strike me as having a huge amount of depth. But I think that the, when you look down at who's around them, I think they'll have enough to get through because I. I I think they'll they'll burn out of Europe earlier than than they would want. Let's put it that way. Um, I think they make it out of the group and then they they stumble at the next hurdle. So that point there, and then they rally, go again, clinch fourth, fifth. And Chelsea are coming. I fancy us to get you a European spot. Where that is, I don't know. Your, I don't your six, your sixth, seventh, eighth spot. Who finishes higher, Lou? St- uh, Chelsea or Stuart's Man United? I think Chelsea. There goes your second appearance. <laughs> Lucky I'm here for the first one. But, you know, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think we finish higher than than United just because it, there is there is an optimism about Chelsea and the, what they're trying to do. Whereas United just seems like it's just a mess. Like Chelsea knows it's a mess, but it's like we've got essentially a, ho- a, a whole squad of players to come back from injury that you get around Christmas and you've got six or seven bodies that you've, you've had around the training ground that you, you know, Reese James being the, the main one, really, he comes back and all of a sudden the team's much better, you know, For one and, game and then he gets injured again. Yeah. And then you, but like someone like Nkunku, Nkunku whole preseason looked like our entire system is going to be built around him. He comes back. He's a brand, he's, he's a breath of fresh air. We don't even have to go and sign anyone. Let alone if we do try and enter the you know transfer market again in in January and spend half a billion quid on four hundred players to send out on loan. But you know, I think I think for us, we there's a more of an optimism and a and a hunger about it. Whereas United just to me just seem like they're 
like rats trying to leave a sinking ship. So then talking about optimism then, Ben, are you optimistic about Liverpool? Who's your top five? Uh, to quote you, Stuart, I'm going to go with my heart over my head on one of my picks, and obviously it'll be Liverpool, but I am going to go for City to win it. I think just as a squad with the manager, they've been there. I think they can be beaten, which has already been proven, but I just think over the course of time that they're just going to double up there again, and that's why kind of thinking over the course of time, that's going to reflect the rest. Um I actually am going to go again with the Hearts. I'm going to go, we're going to finish second. I think... Oh, that's a massive shout. And Lewis yeah, is going to I, I don't know. his beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's going to be... He's going to spit me... He's going to spit his beer out even further when I name who's going to be fourth. I think Arsenal finished third. And I re- the reason why I think Arsenal not struggle, but won't push City is like Tommy said before, they've had to grind out a couple of wins already this year. Like, it's not been as luxury football as we used to seeing from Arsenal from last year and again I just don't know if Arsenal can do that all year right there. that's what they've not had the last couple of years that, yeah but they're not they're not gonna you can't you can't do that all year just off the bat it, it doesn't just happen you don't just so, turn into that team overnight so my, my like, counter and to that go on. is you, you listen to United's 99 treble team, you listen to City teams, Liverpool teams, mm-hmm. that the best teams at the end of the year are the ones that can grind out results before that team's really formed, which is those first 10 games. And United United and Strelix have always said that, that you just need to pick up points at this part of the season. Yeah, peak at the right okay. time. Okay, so then what happened last year? Why we did peaked, you win it? We peaked too early, and then it fell apart at the end of the year. Which again, listen... I don't disagree. I just don't think it's going to be... Yeah, that's just... I'm going again. I've put us second, so I'm clearly not thinking straight. But I'm going with... What's in your glass? I don't know, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> if you get those, if you get those um, rematch, if you get a few more rematches, though, you might pick up more points and be able to finish up a little bit. Well, hang on a minute. If you really want to go into it, should we look at hindsight? Because if we go through Jack and Stu's top seven from the start, then they couldn't have been further off if they tried. Because well, hang on, hang on. It's a marathon, knew, not a sprint. Neither of them knew what they were talking about because <laughs> neither of them had Tottenham anywhere near a top four. I've always backed Tottenham. <laughs> so... I've always said they were a good team. Yeah, I, I love Tottenham. I think they're, they're fantastic. Uh, I would so, like to retract right. my statement. But Ben, I, I just want to pull you up. You said you'll be Lewis would be surprised with your fourth place. Who is your fourth place? Chelsea. Mm. I can I tell you two are friends. I always knew you're a closet Chelsea fan. No, I think no, I think it, it, I think people jump on bandwagons too quick. And I think everyone jumped on that one too quick. And the other one, which I think everyone's jumping on too quick, is the Tottenham bandwagon. Because if you look at and again, you know, oh he's referencing that game, they couldn't even score against nine men over twenty five minutes. They couldn't beat us. We beat ourselves. Look at the game after when they played Luton. All right, they went and beat Luton, but they did that with 10 men. And you're thinking to yourself, they going to do that. And this is where I think they're having a little bit of the rub of the green, is that you do that against any top 14, 13 side in the league. You're not going to, it's not going to happen. 
but they've been lucky enough that it happened against Luton, which most teams could play with 10 against Luton and still win. So you can't really go, oh, well, you know, they've won with 10 and then they've beat Liverpool and, you know, because you're like, well, they haven't beat us. We beat ourselves and we had nine players and they beat the 10 men of a, you know, a championship side. I'm, again, spoken, I'm not spoken saying... in a true Klopp fashion. That <laughs> I want to, I want to replay. I want to replay podcast. <laughs> um, no, so I'll go with. I'm going Chelsea fourth, and then part of me actually would have said Newcastle until I heard the Italians getting done for his gambling. So I think with the schedule and other rifts, I think they're going to fall off a little bit. All I'll right. go. No, actually, I'll go on. I'll go Tottenham. I think Tottenham might finish fifth. But I just think I think they'll miss out because, again, him as a manager, I don't think it's going to be the same pressure he's felt at Celtic that it's going to be here. I think he's going to be dealing with a whole other world. And I still think he's in that honeymoon phase. Where, you know, and I do think when you watch him speak, he's pretty charismatic on the TV, the way he interviews. But I think over Christmas, when he's doing that three times a week and they're not winning every game, you know, it's going to not get old, but he can't, like, charm his way out of certain situations or results, if that yeah, makes sense. It's easy to be charismatic when you're winning. Yeah, See it's easy to pull the job and run. do all that when they're winning. But I don't know. I think I think there's a rough patch to come for Spurs, and that's where I think Chelsea have pretty much already been through it. No, we've got all <laughs> rough. <laughs> uh, next? Apparently, Arsenal, apparently Arsenal have grinded through theirs. So, <laughs> oh no, ours is coming out. You look at like you know, if just to pick up one of the things you were saying there, like if you look at Tottenham's fixture list, um, just in the, in in Premier League games, they don't play quote unquote big six back to back weeks ever. So there, from a you know psychological point of view of the ebb and flow of you know if you lose one against a big big you know rival, you've got a week to then go again. Whereas you know if like if, you know you look at Chelsea for example, we play against you know Arsenal. Then in a couple of weeks we've got City, we've got United, we've got Newcastle. They're that's back to back to back. That's grinding out. That could be a brutal month for us. But then it's like all right, we play one game. We've got a couple of games. Then they play they, you know they play Luton on the back of I think on the back of City. So it's like, you know, if you you lose against City, then you're going to go and pace Luton as the on your bounce back game. So your feel-good factor comes back almost instantly. But you look at the running for the last couple of games for Spurs and they get Newcastle, Man City, Arsenal and Liverpool back to back to back to back. That could be killer for the running if they're fighting for the top four. Yeah, I, I, I just think in... their chance to take points off big clubs. If you look at it in an optimistic point. Yeah, yeah. Check, like, check, check, their, check their month of April. That's where they'll bottle it. Yeah, that's it's, that's what I'm that's what I'm looking at, and it's just it's it's horrendous. Newcastle away, City, Arsenal, Liverpool away. Mm. Who's that? Oh, and West Ham as well away. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's Spurs. Is that Tottenham's run? Yeah, yeah. that's Tottenham's run. Yeah. And so I think they you, they could be around until that, and then it's just. I mean, the, the the one of the factors to 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 take into that though is the City game and the Arsenal game are both at home. So by that point, if you've got if you've built somewhat of a you know a fortress at yeah, I don't know, lad, Arsenal will be flying at that point. They won't be to be messed with in April. 
No, but they, they could they could have been... <laughs> Arsenal will be cruising in April. Yeah, I think it's it's one I of those. I still have a Champions League final to worry about at that point. Anyway, <laughs> we it's funny because we're all talking about like obviously the fixtures in April, and we got to realize we're still in October. Like we're all maybe getting ahead of ourselves in terms of where teams might finish. Um, it's only April. Uh, sorry, it's only October. We've got a long way to go. You could have any of these teams could pick up any few injuries. And before they know it, they're they're out of the title race. Um, well, we were just having fun, just talking about stuff. That's it. Yeah. Sorry, sorry <laughs> the realism. When I was allowed to be fanciful on this podcast. No, but I'm I'm just saying. Like, you look at Man City, for example, didn't have the great start to the season last year. Then come like the winter period, didn't lose a game in twelve weeks. So, yeah, we look at City at the moment losing a game or whatever it might be. Arsenal maybe have had a, a little yeah. bit of a slow start. I don't think I don't think you can we can look too far into the future yet. I think I think this year is going there's going to be a lot of upsets. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be thinking they might be top 4. Like Man United, I started off thinking we would be top 4. I don't we're struggling for top 10. I think there's going to be a lot of I think your biggest challenge is you don't all kill each other before the end of the season. Well, there we go or we end up in rehab <laughs> or their wives. Exactly. Um, yes. No, just being demonetized. <laughs> this, again, this is the reason why no Man United fan was allowed to come on here because we wanted to keep it PG. Um, but no, I, I think I don't know about you guys, but I've really enjoyed this uh, this last hour or so. Um, I would definitely love to revisit this in a few in several weeks' time and kind of see where you were all right or wrong. Um, but for myself and Jack, uh, we really appreciate your time coming onto the pod uh, and representing your clubs. Um, so, we, yeah, we really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can get you guys back on in 10 episodes time and see uh, Chelsea in a relegation battle. That's right. You'd have had Brody on four times by then, so it'd be fine. We'll come back on. <laughs> he is yeah. our number one fan. Yeah, a bit. Uh, are, you, yeah. uh, have you got, are we doing these goalkeeper things and what? What goalkeeper things? Next question. The question. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's gonna that leads me on to it. So I've been having a little thing. Nice segue, Lewis. Jack, you said how many players? Six. Six goalkeepers. I think I've got five. I'm missing one. All so right. I'm gonna say my five. And if you four fellas can help me out with a six one, that would be greatly appreciated because I'll give Jack some credit. He normally trumps me on uh, on most of these. Um so Jack. You just repeat the, repeat the, the question for the listeners. Uh, six goalkeepers have scored a Premier League goal. Can you name those six goalkeepers to so score the first in the Premier one, League? The first one that came to mind was Allison against West Brom. Correct. 2-1-1. The second one that came to mind, I actually mentioned him in the underrated. It was Brad Friedel against Charlton. Correct. So then my third choice is, I believe Ben Foster did it when he was playing at Watford. That's wrong. That's wrong? He got scored against. Oh, it was him that got scored against? He got it. He, he was one that got logged. That's I, think it was, I think it was, I think it might have been... Whoa, 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 I'll whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. I'll let you say it. <laughs> I'll let you say it. <laughs> I'll let you say it. 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 I'll let you
All right, so you got two correct, one incorrect. I'm going to go... I vividly remember, I think, Leighton Baines jumping on Tim Howard when he scored from his own box. Tim Howard scored. Tim Howard did score against Bolton, put them 1-0 up, but they did lose 2-1 in the end. And so my last guess is a bit of a stab, thinking he. I would always remember him going up for corners, and I'm hoping he has scored, is Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, Peter Schmeichel scored for... Villa, wasn't it? Aston Villa against Newcastle, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just missing... Well, I'm missing how many? One, two, three, four. I'm missing two. So you've got Peter Schmeichel. Brad Friedel, Allison, and Tim Howard. Yeah, so you're missing two. No idea. Gents, anyone want to chip in on the, the other two? I'll throw one out there, and I don't know why this guy's coming to mind. Nigel Martin for Leeds. Uh, no, but there is one that does have a Leeds connection. So, Paul, Paul Robinson. Yeah, Paul Robinson. Robinson was the one I was going to say for Blackburn. Yeah. Uh, Paul Robinson for Tottenham against Tottenham. Okay, yeah. that was the one where he loved Ben Foster. He, that's right. Ben yeah, Foster he was, was scrambling. Because I initially thought Foster, and I was like, no way, he was the one that got it against him. Yeah, but, that's correct. So then the sixth one, does anyone know? Is it? I'll give you, I'll give you a hint, Noodle, see if it helps. He used to play for Chelsea. But he didn't do it for Chelsea. Did it for Stoke no, City? Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, oh um, Begovic. Begovic. Yeah. Asmir Begovic for Stoke City against Southampton. Um, oh. Yeah. Put them one there. I'll give you credit, Jan. That's a great question. Uh, I wonder how many of our listeners, um, yeah, a few of them out there. Just to recap Peter Schmeichel, Brad Friedel, Paul Robinson, Tim Howard. Asmir Begovic and Allison, six goalkeepers to score a goal in the Premier League. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, that wraps up episode 10. Again, from myself and Jack uh, to Ben, Lewis, Jake and Tommy, we really appreciate your time and coming on representing your teams. Um, and we bid you a farewell. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Very much. Yeah, thank you, boys.